This evening we're going to consider the whole of creation is waiting and groaning. The whole of creation is waiting and groaning. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through to 23. Let's turn to that. Romans chapter 8. I'll read from verse verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. I wonder what you are looking forward to. We're all looking forward to various things, aren't we? Perhaps you're looking forward to a good holiday. You're thinking, well, when did I last get off this island and go somewhere else, somewhere where there's uh, guaranteed sunshine, perhaps? So you're wondering when, you're looking forward, rather, to a good holiday, COVID restrictions permitting. Maybe you're excited about the prospect of your football team winning even more trophies, even more competitions. Maybe plans for a future wedding consume your thoughts. And so it goes on. But if you are in Christ Jesus, your earnest expectation is what? What is it that you really are looking forward to if you're a Christian? How about his second coming? I trust, dear Christian, that you are looking for his glorious appearing and the very thought of it compels you to say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So much for the Christian's hope and earnest expectation, but what about the rest of creation? Does the rest of creation look to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul deals with that question in today's verses. Look at verse 19 in Romans chapter 8. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Looking first at the words, the manifestation of the sons of God, the sons of God are Christians both male and female. We looked at that, I think, last week, sons of God, and that tells us that Christians have a heavenly inheritance. They're called sons of God, but there is neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus and heirs according to the promise. They are sons of God, having received Jesus as their saviour from sin, 
having believed on his name. He has himself given them the right and the great privilege of knowing God and addressing God as Father. Last week, it was seen that the present sufferings and the fiery trials that all of you who are sons of God, again, I I know uh, I'm saying male and female, all of you who are sons of God, the fiery trials that you endure cannot even begin to be compared to that glory that shall be revealed in you when Jesus comes again and your soul is reunited, not just with a body, but with a glorified and glorious body that will be fashioned like unto the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, you will have a body that is fit for heaven. And that body will be reunited with your soul. Your regenerated body will be free from every influence of sin and corruption. When you are raised with a glorified body that is imperishable, it will be a public event and every unbelieving eye will will see what is termed in verse 19 as the manifestation of the sons of God when Jesus returns. I like how the Bible expositor William Newell explained the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. Newell said, the word here translated revealing is apocalypsis, a removal of a covering, as when some wonderful statue has been completed and a veil thrown over it, people assemble for the unveiling of this work of art. It will be as when skyrockets are sent up on a festival night, Rockets which, covered with brown paper, seem quite common and unattractive, but up they are sent into the air, and then they are revealed in all colours of beauty, and the multitude waiting below shout in admiration. Now the saints are wrapped up in the common brown paper of flesh, looking outwardly like other folks, for now. When the manifestation of the sons of God comes to pass, it will be a public show of the grace of God towards his adopted children, the cross work of Christ having made it a certainty. In verse 19, Paul is saying that the creature or creation is waiting with an earnest expectation for that event. The original Greek word that is translated earnest expectation is a compound of words that speaks of waiting in suspense with an outstretched head. And that describes the condition of the creature, according to Paul. And that begs the question, who or what is the creature that it should be waiting in suspense, no less, for the second coming of Jesus and for the glorification of the saints. The question takes us to verse 20 and 21. Let's have a look at those two verses. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Whoever or whatever the creature is that is waiting for this great event when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, it is subject to vanity or futility. In other words, it is, as can be seen in verse 21, subject to the bondage of corruption. And that is the consequence of sin. This is the creature, the creation, it's subject to the bondage of corruption as a result of sin. When God created the heaven and the earth, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But then sin and death came into the world by one man, Adam, and the repercussions of Adam's disobedience reached throughout the earth like a single spark from a match that causes a fire and is able to destroy an entire forest and everything dwelling in that forest. The consequences of sin can be seen everywhere with decay, disease, suffering, violence, death and destruction wherever you look. Even looking at each other, I'm afraid. We're all getting older, aren't we? All getting more creaky, croaky, whatever. That's sin. In the Old Testament, you can read how leprosy affected and contaminated not just the people, but their homes and even their clothes. In the same way, sin and the consequences of sin have affected the whole of creation. Ultimately, it is God who have made the creature subject to futility or subject to bondage of death and decay. As it is written in verse 20, for the creature was made subject to vanity, futility is probably a better word, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. Him is God in that verse. And the fact that it is God himself that has cursed the earth on account of Adam's disobedience, as it is written in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, and unto Adam he, he that's God, said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. We see the curse of God upon the earth because of that disobedience in Eden. When Adam did what should never, ever be done, The atheist has a problem acknowledging what is glaringly obvious, that the whole earth is subject to the curse of God because of sin. And so he says to himself, what a wonderful world this is, as he suffers like everyone else and like everything else in this world. 
But also he curses the God whom he claims not to believe in. But this passage is not about the ungodly. It's not about the atheist. It's not about those who do not belong to Jesus. It is about the creature that despite being made subject to the bondage of death and decay, nevertheless has a real hope of better things to come. We see that at the end of verse 20 there, that God has subjected them in hope. Even though for now, the creature is subject to futility, subject to bondage of corruption, they nevertheless have a hope. The Bible commentators conclude that the creature that is subject to futility but with a hope of restoration when Jesus comes again refers to all that is not human excluding good angels. They're not subject to futility. They're not affected by sin. The elect angels of God. The devil and his demons are also ruled out because, like the ungodly, they do not have a hope. Also, the children of God, Christians, are ruled out because they have already been dealt with as a separate category. So, who or what is the creature that is spoken of in verses 19, 20, 21? Well, read verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. This is the language of personification. In other words, it assigns human attributes to non-human entities or inanimate objects in order to express a point or idea in a more colourful, easier to understand, more imaginative way. For example, in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 12, it is written, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. In other words, There shall be a great and a general rejoicing at your deliverance, so that even the senseless creatures shall seem to rejoice with you and for you. And even the Son of God, before he was made flesh, is said to have laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of his hands. Here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, as a consequence of sin devastating everything in its path and also the curse of God being upon the earth because of sin, it is written, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
Similar words can be seen in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 24 verses 4 to 8 where it is written The earth mourneth and fadeth away, the world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish, the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance broken the everlasting covenant, therefore have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left, the new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth, all the merry-hearted do sigh, the mirth of tabrets ceaseth, the noise of them that rejoice endeth, The joy of the harp ceaseth because of sin and because of the curse of God upon the earth. The joy of the harp ceaseth. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. If the inhuman creation, both in uh, both animate and inanimate, groan and travail like a woman in labour, how much more do the children of God long for that final deliverance when corruption shall have taken on incorruption and mortality, immortality, when our vile bodies shall be changed and fashioned like unto our Saviour's glorious body. Dear Christian, do you not groan within yourself like Paul did back in chapter 7, verse 24, when he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I know I do. Also, you will find yourself, you find yourself waiting for the adoption, the redemption of your body. According to verse 23 there. You have the testimony of the indwelling Holy Spirit that you already are adopted as a child of God. You know that of a certainty. You have the Holy Spirit within you who testifies to that fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you the right to become a child of God through faith in his finished work at the cross. And you already cry out, Abba, Father, and you already do praise God. But even so, you long for the time when both your soul and your body will bear the image of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bodily creatures. We can be so spiritual at times that we forget or we don't realise that when everything is fulfilled, we will be glorified, body and soul. Bearing the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Note that Paul is careful not to use the words resurrection of our bodies at the end of verse 23. He says redemption 
of our body. And he does that to highlight our body bodily deliverance from sin. We're not just going to be raised up when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Like Lazarus, he was raised up from the dead with a perishable perishable body and no doubt he died a second time. Therefore, the redemption of our bodies will usher in the entire accomplishment of our adoption as children of God when our bodies have been redeemed from the grave. For now we are truly blessed to have the Holy Spirit as our seal and our pledge of the things that we hope for. We have so much in Christ if if we're trusting in him, so much now. But do we have that hope looking ahead? Because we ought to. The Apostle Paul makes much of it here in his letter. A real hope of glory. Something that Abraham had as a stranger and a pilgrim in the world. He was looking for that city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for heaven and being with Jesus. Last of all, we see in verse 23 that we who groan within ourselves, if indeed we really do groan within ourselves, dear Christians, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, according to verse 23. First fruits has various meanings in the Bible. You can't pin it down to one meaning. It depends on the context of the passage that you're looking at. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20, it is written, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Risen from the dead, become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, Jesus is the first of a great harvest to rise with a glorified body. And we have no reason to think that the rest of the harvest will fail the first fruits Jesus has been raised up and we who belong to him will be raised up as well with glorified bodies Jesus himself will most certainly raise all the elect children of God up on the last day and none of them will be missing here in Romans chapter 8 verse 23, first fruits refers to a foretaste of our everlasting life in Jesus. And that, that is evidenced in a love of God, your heavenly Father, joy even in suffering for Christ's sake, peace with God that passes all understanding, fellowship with God your Father and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If that is you, then to God be the glory when you consider that before you had the first fruits of the Spirit, you were once by nature a child of wrath. 
you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were hostile towards God, whom you now know as your Father in heaven. Praise God that while you were yet a sinner, he sent his only begotten Son into the world to fulfil the law's demands on your behalf in life and in death. Praise God that by his grace you have received Jesus as a repentant sinner and you have believed on his name. And praise God that you now groan within yourself as you wait for the day when the trumpet shall sound. You shall be raised incorruptible by the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be with him forevermore in body and soul. Amen.